0: Hey, everyone, and a very warm welcome on a Friday to another OnLytica Experts community LinkedIn Live session. Um, So today we're going to talk about the power of storytelling in B2B marketing. And I'm delighted to be joined by a couple of people who I've known very, very well for a number of years. um, And they're definitely influential experts in uh, social media marketing. Uh, And this series is all about trying to create inspiring content, trying to challenge brands thinking and to try and help social media professionals and marketers out there um, to evolve um, what they do. So I'm very excited to be joined by Danielle Guzman. Now Danielle is, uh, a lot of you will will know her, I'm sure that both of these people don't need any introduction. but um, she is the global social media leader at Mercer. And I think to me and to everyone, she epitomizes the social in social media and it's just an absolute powerhouse on social media. So really excited to be joined, uh, really excited for you to join us, uh, Danielle. Um, and Fanzo, um, I think you were the kind of, the, 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 the person who was sort of born into social media, like I, you know, the first social media post I sort of is, is kind of, um, uh, you know, I associate with you and all this sort of social media marketing world um, speeches that I listen to, uh, sort of done by you. And really, um, I know that you're a sort of professional speaker, content creator, NFT podcaster, you got so many different hats. Um, and, you know, I've always taken from you the sort of, you know, push a down button, you know, get out there, create content. Um, and you're really um, also trying to serve, I know you've done a lot of work with translating the the sort of corporate voice narrative um, into a much more sort of engaging tone for the audiences. So I was really excited to bring both of you in and a very warm welcome to um, to this LinkedIn Live. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm having a bit a little, a little bit of a fangirling moment here with Brian, so this is super exciting. <laughs> uh,
0: well, I wish every
2: client I worked with had had you and all of them. It would make my life a lot easier. So <laughs> it
0: goes both yeah. ways. So it's a love in between my panel experts, and hopefully um, everyone watching uh, will enjoy this as well. Uh, please do um, shout out, um, put in the comments to where you're tuning in from, uh, ask them a question. Um, any difficult questions, I will bring up automatically and, uh, uh, and, and shoot them at both of them. So um, yeah, maybe I can come to you, Danielle, first and and just really try and unpick what storytelling means. So um, when people talk about storytelling, what what exactly does that mean to you?
1: It's a great question. I mean, if we think about the fact that we're inundated with content from all sources every day, I kind of look at stories and storytelling in the sense that it's vivid, it's really relatable. Um, Who or whomever is putting that out there to me brings together a mix of kind of personal experiences, life lessons. Um, It makes you feel immersive and central to the narrative that they're telling. It evokes emotion. you never forget it and it sticks with you. And and kind of those are the things that to me tell a story. And and when I read either a brand's content or an individual's content, you know the content that you forget and then you know the content that you just it lingers with you and there's lessons that stick with you and it really resonates. And I think that's something that um, is a skill and it's something that's really important because ultimately, we're there to connect with people and be a service to them, not just to broadcast content out. And the storytelling is critical to pivot from that broadcast kind of mindset into that really value building and contributing mindset.
0: Thanks, and fans. Though, how do you how do you relate to it? Because obviously, that's kind of your mantra to, to tell stories. How how do you how do you break it down?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think Daniel did a great job of kind of setting that up. I think it's that idea of like, how do we talk with our audience, not at our audience. And really we talk with them through stories, right? Not only kind of connecting the dots, but like, I, I kind of believe like as we look at marketing, especially you know, coming out of web two into the web three, it is really comes down to the ability to, for us to relate with our audience, like how are we relatable? And we're not relatable through like a white paper or just standard data. It's about the stories that like truly connect us. and. You know, there, there's lots of famous quotes by lots of famous authors and and uh, thought leaders about like you know what we remember is those stories, especially because we can relate to that information. I think in B2B, you know, we we sometimes forget the importance of storytelling, but it's still a human to human interaction, and because of that, story is is just as important, maybe even more important, uh, to kind of cut through some of that noise. So.
0: so- as two people that evangelize storytelling and obviously work with social media teams and marketing teams to be able to help them to tell stories better, um, how do you break it down for people that uh, that are wanting to produce content uh, and you know and want to kind of tell those relatable stories? How how do you how do you are there frameworks which you use? Are there kind of your rules in your head about uh, you know how you would approach this?
1: I mean, I can just jump in quickly. I mean, yes, there, yes and no, there's definitely frameworks. I mean, always I always like to think of it in the context of who who are we serving and how what are we going to do to get into our audience's personal story? We need to integrate ourselves in. Um, and then to do that, there has to be a central key message, and there has to be a why. And then we build around that. So what is that crystal clear why? And then after that, what are the kind of the layers that we add on to really bring that story to life and take them on a journey? Because we talk about kind of memorable, which we've already mentioned. But when you think about a brand and and memory is such a huge part of the way we learn, that's a big goal for marketing. You want to be remembered when you're not in the room. You want that brand to be remembered when you're doing something else completely unrelated because that might be the right moment for what it was that brand was talking about three, six, nine, twelve months ago. And without that connection there, um, it's really hard to make that stick because there's just so much being thrown at us all the time.
2: Yeah. I would just add on, you know, I think, you know, whoever said content is King is part of the problem of the, now that we have to tell <laughs> stories. Right. And uh, cause I think part of it is we are now inundated with, we have more content than we've ever kind of really realized, but do we have great content, right? There's a difference between putting out a lot of content versus putting out you know, a great piece of content. And then I think actually the hardest part in the storytelling aspect is actually getting it in front of the right audience at the right time. Right. I think the easy part is actually crafting the story, understanding the message, but you know, how do we get it in front of that audience? And I really think that key is like, do we really know our audience at the level that we can be relatable to Danielle's point? Like, I think a lot of brands, we, we like to believe we can, but like, have we, have we put ourselves in that shoes of that customer, the pain points, the, You know, a lot of the things from that, you know, like even even the words we use, like I'm a big stickler on when we use the words like we rather than you. If you if you watch a video and says, I understand you have these problems, you're immediately like, oh, like I have like (laughs) versus like together. I know we are having this. You know, We are all struggling with this. And I believe we are going to go on this journey together. It kind of it kind of connects us in ways that I think that's not only stands out against a lot of this content, but I think it also adds that like personal aspect where they do care about us. And like, I don't know anyone, no matter what your background or your business, it says, I, I don't want people to care about me. I think we all strive for people to relate and care about us you know, as consumers.
0: So, yeah, and I think that's such a important point. So when brands have worked with you, uh, FanZone, when they... And when they have maybe more of a a corporate image, you know, thinking I don't think this message is really relatable, it's not engageable. How, I mean, what what, what kind of things are you are you thinking? Are, are you are you looking at all this of phraseology and like recommending them to break that down? Have you got a few examples of where you've kind of gone through that process to then, you know, looked at more of an audience first? um example i mean i know for example you took over the oracle social media handle um i I think many years back which stuck in my memory as a cool thing uh, for them to do with you
2: yeah yeah i I mean it's a great question you know it's funny like 10 years ago now that we're where we're at you know 10 years ago it was like brian you know you're too personable you're you're gonna talk. you're gonna share like like how you talk we don't think we can have that like we we're we're looking like the check a millennial box and move on and you know interestingly enough over these 10 years it's actually kind of swooped in a little bit now to be like, okay, how do we actually add like that, that understanding? Right. I think there's also a component of third-party validation, right? Like for me with, with brands that I work with, it's like, I know the message that you are preaching and I know the message that your audience wants to hear. And sometimes they just need to hear it from a voice that isn't the brand itself. And in, in a way I'm oftentimes like when I, I've taken over, you know, Oracle, Dell, IBM, uh, SAP, I've taken over a lot of their social accounts. And, you know, the tough thing at the beginning is like, you know, they want to put a lot of constraints and and controls on it, which is understandable on you know, trusting, you know, the creator, especially to understand the message. But I think the, the beauty becomes in it where it's like, you know, let me understand what are the goals, what is the message we want to actually deliver, and then let me do what I do best, which is kind of translate that, you know, directly to the audience especially depending on the medium right like the oracle example you know I remember I took over their Facebook live and their instagram and I knew their audience on instagram being so different than the audience they had on that live video on Facebook and I really tried to lean into that and I think just even those little nuances being able to understand the media on the platform you know if you're at an event versus as you know it's just a standard day like what is your audience like what are their you know habits during those times that you know those are things that we you try to factor in, in the storytelling, but I always say like, I don't work well with rules. I work well with swim lanes. Like tell me the things I can't do, tell me the things that there's like some gray area and then let me do what I need to do. And I'm, you know, I'm very understanding on that side. I think we, we sometimes like overcalculate, or we just say, here's, you know, you can do whatever you want. And then I don't think that works any better than, uh, you know, giving anyone two kind of uh, controlled roles. So I think it's a, it's definitely a balance.
0: Yeah. Go, sorry, go for it. Uh,
1: I was just going to say there's one thing that Brian said that I think echoes so well, especially when we think of it through a corporate lens. Everything you're saying, Brian, is like it's a motive. I mean, you're bringing emotion to everything that you do without leaving behind the core essence of the brand or the key messages. And that's so much more relatable. And there's a famous quote out there, and I'll probably butcher it, but it's the whole idea of like, you know, people forget what you did, they forget how you, what you said, but they'll never forget the way you made them feel. And when we think about brands, it's a natural reaction of a, an organization to want to focus on the name of a report or to focus on some random data point, something that's truly meaningful internally, but there is no connection to the outside world. And so it's really important that as we build those stories, that we keep that audience in the center and we lead with what, how's it relevant for us as a partnership or how's it relevant in helping them and less so focused on like the vernacular and the nomenclature from a corporate perspective. And that's something that's hard to do. I mean, to be honest, you have to break that down and that's where you look to your marketing teams and your social teams and the influencers that you partner with to help you break out of that mold. Because a lot of times we almost don't even know that we're in that mindset.
0: Yeah, I I think I think both of you are touching on some amazing points and obviously emotion is at the the heart of it. Um, I was speaking in the sort of last um, Analytica Experts community live with Stephen Hunton from IBM and uh, and Anita Veselli, um, uh, who uh, both of you know really well, um, and Katie Howell as well from immediate future. And we're talking about brands producing a lot of boring content. Um, and we were talking about thought leadership and that's what got us onto storytelling, which is why we're here. Um, and I referenced uh, Jeremy uh, Jeremy Connell Waite from IBM, um, who I think, does a lot of really cool videos about so breaking down the kind of science of thought leadership and storytelling. And I just wanted to pick up on a few things that he, he, um, he made, I think, over the past few months on LinkedIn. And I think one of the team will share some of the links in the chat. Um, he was talking about the audience that you're actually speaking to. Um, a lot of brands or 80% of content is assuming that people are charismatic and they're in search of focus. Whereas actually a, a quite a small percentage, about 25 or 30 percent, actually sit within that box. And uh, a lot of people are feeling very constrained within their resources and there might be people that follow. And so I, I, I really wanted to kind of uh, challenge both of you and to understand when we start talking about storytelling. Um, are we are we talking to everyone or are we assuming that people are wanting this really emotive Um, your story, which has some data and stats because we're in B2B marketing, right? And it has a CTA and there's certain things that we need to communicate. Um, Are we missing the boat in terms of understanding the true um, diversity of our audience?
2: Yeah, I'll throw in. I mean, I think, you know, I think it's funny because we, we we were always taught that we all learn and consume differently, right? We all, some of us love audio. Some of us love to watch video. Some of us prefer to read. Yet in a weird way, we we almost shove everything out of one you know medium. Uh, you're like, here's the fire hose, and take it how we want you to have it. Versus like, how do we take? And I think this is even that piece where I look at it and say, how do we stop creating just good content, and then really create some great content? And then take it different ways and bring it to our audience in different formats. I mean, Analytica does that really well with these type of things. I know just doing this video that I'm going to be tagged in some social posts. There'll be a blog post that will come out. And really, you're touching a lot of those points. And I think sometimes people assume that it's like reinventing the wheel to reach each audience. I actually think it's about just customizing the delivery of each one of those that, that messaging, not about reinventing the messaging to each kind of platform.
1: Yeah, I I think that's such an important point. And again, if we think of it through the lens from a corporate perspective, it's like a machine, right? You know, if the marketing team has an objective, they just want to get that white paper out and the paper's out. Now they move to the next thing. But the problem is that white paper could be broken down into 10, 15, 20 different ways of bringing that paper to life. Um, That's probably not part of the original goal they had because they've already checked the box. But then we're missing such a massive audience. and We see that even just right here on LinkedIn. There are some people that will only consume video with captions. If there's no captions, they're just going to scroll by. There are some people that only want audio, some that only want visual. Um, And I think that's something that we need to be thinking about because we need to connect more on a personalized one-to-one basis, but do that at scale.
0: Yep, Uh, absolutely. I want to bring in uh, David Perry. Um, Hey, David, um, good to hear you listening. He said, so how do you break out of the mold um, how do you move from talking about features and results to telling stories and what about telling different stories to different segments within your audience and within the same channel so I think we've touched upon it a, a bit the channels but um, you know how, how do you how do you take people from the white paper from the features and results to tell stories how because because I know that um, there's obviously some specialisms you know um, here you're know, within the panel um, but how do you How do you enable that kind of mindset within the organization and get people to sort of translate those features results to to that storytelling?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of that comes down to you have to be willing to sit in like the shoes or the seat of your audience and like ask yourself. I I don't know very many people that are like, I really would love another white paper. Like, (laughs) I just just don't, I don't think there's like that, like, you know, there's like that, that feeling like you wake up in the morning, you're like, I'm gonna log into LinkedIn so I can find a white paper. But we do wake up and say, "I'm struggling with this problem, and I wish I knew software that could solve it." Right, and all of a sudden, if that is positioned in my feed, all of a sudden now I feel like, "Wow, this person gets me, or they understand me." And I and I think that breaking out of the mold is part of it. Is like I mean, part of it's tough love in the sense of you know asking you know the powers that be or the roadblocks to say like, "When's the last time you've consumed something in that manner?" Right, like I mean, really, we have to look at it and be you know truthful. And I think even to Danielle's point earlier about you know, like understanding the fact that you know sometimes we we just have to like not only step out but we also have to look at when we're in these channels you know maybe it's people that like aren't gonna ask a question in the actual feed but they might click on a link that opens the PDF that ask a question in there and I, I think part of the the disconnect also exists when you know, like I I've I'm very blessed I mean we're doing this for very many many years but I've been coaching some influencers recently. And I will tell them like, the thing I want you to ask every time you're doing work with a brand is what does success look like to you as the brand? And they're like, why would I ask that? Like they hired me and I was like, yeah, but how can you achieve success if you don't have it defined? And I think there's sometimes there's this like weird assumption, like here's the white paper, go translate this to your audience. When really it's like, you don't care honestly if they download the white paper. What you care is that they've put together that you have this problems and these solutions and it's your business that can solve it. And sometimes I can do that without them having to click a link. And now they're going to jump even further into the funnel, but that really the having that connection. I mean, you need people like, you know, Danielle, like you need those change evangel- evangelists within the company as well, because I can tell you from the outside, I can be a great storyteller, great content creator, but if I don't have my internal advocate, I'm stuck on the outside. I usually get that contract once and I'm usually done because I don't have that internal champion, like what you know Danielle does at, at Mercer. And I think a lot of brands struggle in that arena as well.
1: Yeah, so I, I was think- gonna add, I love the point that Brian made about kind of asking them, like, what would you do it? Would you download that? Would you watch this video? Would you consume it in that format? Um, I also like to try and find like, it's, it's tough. Like, let's be honest, right? For those of us that work in different organizations, You know, change is really difficult as as individuals, as humans, it's just not. It's against our nature. Um, But find someone, find a point of weakness, which is your opportunity. Find that person that is willing to take a chance and step out of their comfort zone, because you just need one opening. And when you've got that opening, you can demonstrate the difference. And once you demonstrate that, it's amazing how it moves quickly throughout an organization when someone sees that there is success in a way that they define it, and then it becomes a tidal wave of demand coming in, because everybody wants it. Um, and I think that's really important. And the other point that Brian mentioned, I think it's critical, especially for, the, for organizations that are working with influencers like Brian and other thought leaders, you've got to give them the breathing room. Because if we bring them into our bubble, and we give them our box to play in, I mean, honestly, we're sort of wasting our money, we're definitely wasting their time. And we're not making the impact that we're looking to try and achieve with our audiences. So it's really important to kind of break that down.
2: Yeah, it's funny, just to throw in something real quick on that exact point, in 2016, I had two brands come to me and say, Brian, we really wanted to work with you, but you have too much IBM in your feed. And I remember being like, well, you realize IBM, like I work with IBM, but I am also brand agnostic. And if you want to get in front of that audience, like, do you share some of the audience with IBM? And they're like, of course. And I was like, well, I'm getting in front of that audience. Let's work together. And I remember, you know, I made it a mission you know, it was an enterprise tech side of the house. And in 2018, in one quarter, I did, I did content work for six enterprise tech brands that all kind of recognize that it's not about like, I don't have to be preaching one version, right? Like ultimately in a way, if I can just identify, here's the problem, here's the solution. And then there's only a few brands that can actually execute on it. Then the brands are there to do what you do really, be- really well. And I, I like to say for a lot of that, like breakdown will happen in this, like, idea of, like, I want to reach this audience, but I might not be willing to, like, change my perspective of how I reach that audience, because, you know, reaching your audience where they are today is essential. I mean, nobody's coming to you, and, and you know, just because you launched a new webinar, you have a new webpage, you really have to go to where they're at and help solve problems there, and that's a, that's a much bigger barrier than we had to deal with seven or, or ten years ago.
0: Yeah, no, and yeah. I... I, I I love. I guess try to summarise. You know the the kind of back and forth that you've just been having. It's about having creative freedom. It's the it's the external voice. And and I love what you're saying about just simply asking what success looks like. Because obviously a lot of people don't do that. Just in life in general. Just if you're working for your boss, like some people don't know what their boss is looking for. You know, just right. always ask that question. Just more generally. Um, I loved it that Jennifer Merrick said, "I love white papers." Um, <laughs> so that. So that's great. Um, If you do love white papers, please put in the comments why you like white papers. It's great for us to understand that. Um, I don't. But then I'd add
1: though that that Tim, there's nothing wrong with loving white papers. But I guarantee you, the brands that get you to click to consume that white paper are providing some really interesting content in that messaging that you relate to you say yes this is me yes i want this and and you go forward it's not just name of paper and please click here kind of thing so there's still a rich story that brings you into a point of connectivity before you launch in 100%.
0: a hundred percent i guess like all of these things like uh software white papers yeah no, no one wants the actual thing but uh but yeah i mean if you if you do love white papers and you've been attracted to that white paper it would be great to to hear why um i, I wanted to ask you both what brands you think are telling stories really really well um uh fanzo, have you got any brands which come front of mind that do this in a spectacular fashion?
2: I mean, I feel like I I am like paying homage to like the brand that we're sitting on, but Microsoft, I believe does a really great job right now of, of making, you know, and I wouldn't have said that five years ago, right? I wouldn't have said that Microsoft kind of connects with us in ways that, you know, like, I mean, how many different laptops do we have to choose from? How many different devices do we have to choose from? But I feel like they understand kind of the combination of, you know, getting it in front of people, but then also kind of walking them through kind of a, a nurture style period. And, you know, to that point on the white papers, right? Like, it, the white paper might be the thing you click on that you like at the end, but how many videos, how many touch points, how many, you know, even, you know, I, I was targeted with a, a Microsoft Instagram story ad the other day and I was like, like, it popped up and I was like, you know, as a marketer, I'm like, what, what was their targeting criteria? But within three seconds of the video, I was like, oh my goodness, they're talking about web three. And it was like directly dialed into what I was, it was thinking about. And the funny thing about it was, I couldn't tell you what the what their like call to action was on that video, but I can promise you the next time on LinkedIn, if they're targeting me again and I get hit with a, a link on something that Microsoft's doing in Web three, I'm clicking the link no matter what because they already kind of brought to the forefront that they're thinking that via the Instagram story side. So Microsoft, I think, jumped out at me, you know, kind of the first one.
0: Great, and I imagine yeah. it's maybe slightly cheaper to advertise on LinkedIn for them. So.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's interesting a
1: couple of things come to mind um, when I think of brands, uh, maybe a, a little bit of a different angle to it as well. I love the TSA. I don't love the TSA and what they do as a job, but I, I appreciate them. But if you ever want a really interesting approach to storytelling, go look at, at TSA on Instagram. They do just a brilliant job of taking some really tough conversations, right? You're intercepting people, trying to think, take things in and out of the country through security. And they, they teach you, they help you understand what you can and can't do. They help you make it really relatable. They add humor. You never forget it when you read their Instagram feed. And there are things that you can think about, how can I bring that approach, maybe not to the same extreme, into your brand? I think it's just a great example. Um, and another one that really stuck with me, kind of I was thinking about as Brian was, was sharing, is Cisco. Um, it's been a couple of years. It was probably actually maybe 10 years ago, not to date myself, but there was an advertisement that came out and they had a YouTube video and there was a series of different things that they did in activation. And it was around Valentine's day. And if anyone knows what Cisco does, they have nothing to do with Valentine's day, but it was so well done because you watched this and you followed the journey and you're like sucked in and it was all about relevant things to you. And then out comes their server and, and the tech stack that they're promoting. And it was humorous, but it was so memorable. And, and I have repeated that story time and time again in different business contexts, um, because it never has left me. They're, it's They've created memorability and they actually do that consistently in a lot of their content. And I just think that's one brand that stands out to me.
2: Yeah, and I'll throw in you know, there, there, there's something else too that I think from uh because I, you know like pushing back on like you know execs like and like trying to kind of force people to do things that like they've been stuck in one way. That's a oftentimes like a lose lose battle, right? Like you're gonna you know because even if you push them and get them to to bend, they're gonna say they want results on the very first story that you tell, and we know <laughs> that's not really the way that this works. So I I like thinking about it from like a creativity spot and say like I actually think. If you, were, if you can you know, record, document the initial creation of a piece of, of content from a white paper to a webinar to a blog, before like the things, the scraps that hit the floor that never make it into the white paper are the pieces we need to tell great stories. And so in a way, the, I mean, I, as a content creator myself, the, the later you bring me into the, the, the journey, the harder it is in a weird way for me to actually deliver because your message is so fine tuned. I can't even figure out like what was the origin story? What was the problem you initially were solving? And I think that that's one of those things where if you want to help kind of make that, you know, kind of how do I get that story out of this like very structured, you know, white paper or webinar it's actually going back to the beginning and saying, what were some of the things that we were like, oh, we were going to do this and this and this. And then we just kind of cut that out because I, I, you'd be amazed how well that kind of works uh, for fitting in the storytelling."
1: I love that. And I would add one more, Brian, is that if for brands that have engaged communities, go and pick out what they're talking about and bring that back into your story. Because those are real perspectives. They're bringing forward their challenges. They're bringing forward their successes. And that's a great way to just wrap that back into the continuation of one's content creation.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess what we talked about at the beginning—the relatable, you know, bring immersing themselves in the story. If it if the stories come from them, then obviously the, that's the best way to do it, right? Um, so uh, so community and user-generated content basically is uh, yep. is, is great. I would um, throw in look-
2: employee advocacy as well, right? Because I think we forget that oftentimes employee advocacy is the greatest feedback mechanism into your content team to understand what's relating, right? If it's not, if it's coming out of the brand handle, you're getting a brand handle response. But if you truly are embracing employee advocacy across the board, what are people commenting on your employees' sharing of content? And more often than not, like that reply is more in touch with what your audience really is, versus what you kind of get off of the brand handles themselves.
0: Well, I wanted to bring up that, uh, I wanted to uh, um, talk about that point actually, uh, Fanzo, because, on the last LinkedIn Live I did on the analytical experts, Katie Howe was really standing up for the brand handles and for the for, for the brands to be able to have the personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were also talking about, you know, the fact that it's far more authentic to have it through employees and through execs and through um, external influences. So um, what's your take, Danielle, on how much storytelling? the brands can do from their brand handle versus obviously through the tens of thousands of employees that obviously work for Mercer and other brands out there?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, first of all, I, I love company pages. So, you know, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that. Otherwise, I think there's a huge opportunity for them right now. Um, but we have to move away from being broadcast channels to truly building engaged communities, and that's a journey and that's an investment. Um, but our employees are really the quick and scalable opportunity, but it has to be done right. And, you know, Brian was kind of talking about purpose and relevance. And when you think about connecting with our audiences, we have to connect with our people the exact same way. So just the same way you would toss out a piece of content onto the company page. If you simply just throw it out to your employees, it's not going to resonate any more or less than it will with your audiences. It's critical you figure out to show them the brand story, the why how it connects into what they do and how they can create meaningful value for the organization. It's really important that they understand that. And then they're empowered, just like our influencers need to be empowered to have their own voice and their own points of view against that. So like Brian had said earlier, what are their swim lanes? What can they do? What can't they do? What are the gray areas? Make that crystal clear to your employees and then unleash them and then enable them to become the heroes of the story. Too often brands get worried about, oh, this person has too much visibility, or this person isn't the right person that we wanna have the audience looking at. Treat everyone as a voice of the brand and enable them to be those heroes, because ultimately what they do will reflect on where they work, which will take you back to the brand. And so you're just casting a wider net, you're building trust, at scale, and that is all going to benefit the brand much faster in, in a deeper way than the brand channel could do on its own. I
0: I, th- I think that was just such a good <laughs> such a good answer. I was almost just going to press done. Amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I what, panicked
1: what, for what, a moment there. I was like, Why isn't anyone talking? <laughs> no, I just uh, it
0: was it was good. It was so good. I didn't have anything to add. Um, I would. I'd love to understand. You know, when this doesn't go so well, when there's maybe senior execs that are trying to push out your know, messages, or there's um, sales or business units that are wanting to, to drive leads within you know a, a couple of weeks or twelve week cycle. Um, obviously, we're talking about you know effective storytelling, and there's so much bad content out there uh, at the moment. What what small wins can we can people who are listening to this um, get when when there are internal execs wanting to push out content that just is not is not effective storytelling and it's kind of more salesy
2: well I mean, I'll just say that like I mean I have a simple like I actually think it's not about getting more small wins it's actually about capturing. Your small wins like i have a I've, i actually started i worked for the, the u.s government uh in cybersecurity. that's what i did for almost a decade and my team kept getting more budget more t- uh more success and i was getting promoted and people asked like what was my like secret sauce and i said we have a methodology we call screenshot awesomeness and it sounds corny but it's every time something awesome happens an email a comment feedback from our audience you screenshot it and you put it in a centralized location and when i was going to a boss and they were asking me to prove the value or what are the, some of the things that we see that are working i had screenshot proof and add it like month over month and funny enough i you know even as an entrepreneur now and as a speaker i still do it on a regular basis i have a, a folder right here on my desktop that is screenshots of those little those little moments and i think the, the other part of this and i saw a couple of the questions about you know storytelling and connecting it with brand message but not sounding like you're a brown, you're a brand talking head requires training. Like this is not, this is not something that feels natural. More often than not, you have people that are very social. They understand the medium, the platforms. They're probably places that you don't even recognize that they're very successful. But understanding how to balance that and connect it to the brand message. I mean, I would argue a lot of the influencers that were in this game 10 years ago there's a reason they're not in here now, right? Because they couldn't figure that out even as an influencer. And it's because of training and understanding, like I want to work with the brand. Like if the brand, to Danielle's point on the brand handles, I'm I'm very bullish on brand handles because from a content creator and influencer, if the brand handle isn't doing their job, it makes my job near impossible. And like you mentioned the Oracle handle, like me taking over Oracle Instagram stories for an entire week would have been useless if they had not used their Instagram stories for the entire year already, right? Like me jumping on there all of a sudden out of nowhere will not all of a sudden just get people to come piling into that medium. And so you kind of have to have like that back and forth. But I think that that like small win piece is like, I think I believe the small wins are already happening. We just do a really bad job of documenting those.
1: Yeah, I love, love what you said, Fanzo, because two weeks ago, on, so on Fridays, I do Friday reflections on LinkedIn. And two weeks ago, I talked about the kudos file. And it's the same thing. And I keep kudos on everything, on my team, on things that the the global organization is doing on social. I take screenshots and I save them all. And it's for those moments that count, but then do it for yourself as well, because you gotta give yourself kudos. Um, And it's something that a lot of people don't take the time to do. And I have a kudos file that dates five years now at Mercer. And there's a lot of juicy stuff in there about a lot of amazing people, Um, but it's a really powerful way to unlock things. And I know David, I also saw David Perry had asked about like, how do you get those employees going from being being those like brand robots to storytellers. Um, I mean, one of the things I often like to do, and I think since Jennifer Merritt's on the call on our chat today, um, she does a great job, is encourage people to lead with a comment strategy instead of a content strategy when you're getting started as an employee posting content can be a little terrifying for some people, and it is for all of us at some point, Um, but if you can just start having comment conversations and even do that for a couple months and get your voice, start sharing your insights, and if it's on a brand channel, contribute to a conversation the brand is having on a topic that you can connect to and do that until all of a sudden you will have a switch where all of a sudden you're like, I this is second nature, then pivot to applying that same discipline to starting to publish content. Because you can be as successful showing up on social and just commenting. So it's not about who you know, it's about who knows you. And you can be much faster at scaling that by just leading with comments.
2: And I would say yeah, that- to, to that point, real quick, that's actually I think that one of the biggest barriers is that we assume it's about original content. Like I would argue commenting and curation are two of the easiest ways for us to do that, right? Resharing something of, that someone else already put the work in with our point of view, with the employee's point of view, with with their take, that doesn't take near as much work. And in many cases, it's not saying like, I know everything, come listen to me. It's my thoughts as an employee yep. on the content that's already created. It's such a, I, I don't know how many brands that are teaching comment and curation. Most of them would want to only start with the creation. And I think that's that's the, the heaviest lift of all three of them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I love I love both points you made because a lot of people are time poor and storytellers, I mean, who who thinks they're effective storytellers? You know, maybe maybe less than 2% of people that you might speak to. Uh, I know a lot of wonderful people who I think are experts and, and they're saying, I'm not sure I've got too much to say. And so, you know, storytelling, inspiring content, they probably think, oh, I'll leave that to the people that get paid to do that or to the social media or marketing teams. And, you know, I think. Yeah, being able to empower them and to give them the confidence. I know you did a LinkedIn Live the other day, Danielle, on commenting strategy, um, which is, as you said, <laughs> Fanzo, is not something taught, you know, uh, commenting and curation. But I love the I love the kind of um, framework to have you know, a personal story, but there's a professional element and no sales pitch to have three things in the mind where they can say, oh, here's my personal idea or thought. There's obviously some they're probably commenting on a professional element, and they're not in sales mode. And you know, sometimes I think that can help people get started, and then they can start telling their stories, as you said, when they get more confidence. Because um, it's hard to scale this, especially Danielle in your role, when there's obviously you know, tens of thousands of employees, and you've got multiple different you know countries, business units. It's a uh, it, it, it's a big beast to be able to uh, empower and and you know drive confidence within.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, small steps lead to great success.
0: Yeah, so I, I love that, and I think, fans, what you what you've, what you've um, talked about is is something that I hadn't thought about as much. Is the customization of the content that's already there. Um, and I guess what I love about you know when you show up working with brands is that you you customize. You're you're asking for what's already there. You're not having to sometimes just create loads of fresh content. You are just repurposing re-talking talking about the stories and i think that i think there's a lot to be learned there as well
2: i would tell you like some of the best content i've ever created from a content like third party influencer was like send me to your event and let me just walk the floor and listen to your team sell and position. Guess what? They don't talk about features and benefits. They tell stories. Oh, I'm a girl dad as well. Oh, you are. Oh, did you know that? I like I use this because it has an app, and I don't have to worry about my kids being on my phone or when they're on Roblox on my computer. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you just told amazing stories that related. And they're like, no, I'm not a storyteller. And, and it's like, wait, actually, you are. But I, you just kind of you like and like to me like that's my favorite thing. Like, let me sit. And listen to a phone call of like your successful team that are pushing people over the line or let me go to your event and listen to the people that are sitting around kind of talking about you know the brand positioning and, and value proposition and i think that's kind of like that magic sauce because then it makes my job easy right because then i can even reference that and i can loop it in and i think you know the other part of this as well is that you know we also have to look at if it works somewhere we can probably find a way to make it work somewhere else as well, especially in digital, right? I think we, we sometimes like we post a couple of times on LinkedIn in, in, in let's say in the month of May and then we're like, oh, that just didn't work on LinkedIn. Well, you didn't know that people are planning on their vacations in the end of the school year in May. And the last thing they're doing is consuming that and they're not logging into maybe LinkedIn as frequently as they they might have. But all of a sudden you launched very similarly in August and your audience is back and they're excited to kind of get into the, to the, the uh, you know, second half of the year. All of a sudden the message takes off. I think it's we are really too quick to throw something out or assume something just didn't work or wasn't the right story. I mean, we, we have to be real and recognize. I mean, especially at like coming out of a global pandemic. I mean, what our audience wants, like we want vulnerability, we want connection. We also can be overwhelmed pretty easily right now. And and we have to kind of take that into account and, and maybe revisit some of the campaigns that maybe we've already thrown out, revisit them again, come this fall and you might be surprised they might actually work. Yeah. I, I-
0: well, Danielle, I was just, um, sorry, go for it, and then I'll jump in with that.
1: No, the I was just going to say, I love the, the emphasis that you were making, fans on the personal personality aspect of it and the kind of personalization and the humanity. And that's why one of the things, often I think we fall into our own trap when we're looking at our competitors as examples to see what are they doing that we could learn from. And I'm not saying you can't learn from them, but you also have to look outside of your own backyard. Because if you want to see, and go to any social channel, The content that's going viral, the content that's driving all the engagement, it has value clearly, but it has a real narrative to it, real conversation. It enables you to connect on a human level, no matter who's putting that content out there. And that's what we need to bring across. And I love the example, your way you were giving it, Fanzo, because when I train with our colleagues, we work on content development from a commenting strategy perspective or messaging development strategy. And it's amazing, the rich conversations, and they're all doing it. And then as soon as you get to go into the platform, you freeze because all of a sudden you have redefined professional in your head and you're like, oh, I can't talk that way. I can't say it that way. And I think that is such a big change that we've seen on social, which is a really positive thing across actually all digital platforms, which is show up as yourself. That's how you're going to start really telling those stories. Have the confidence to be who you are because it is the best version of you. And then bring your expertise into that narrative. Don't start with the expertise and try and figure out how to make it sound good. Cause I think that will always leave us falling short.
2: You know, I think the piece of that that is is even because that when that happens, we as brand, you know, as brands, we have to celebrate that. You know, I I I we cannot underestimate the power of if there are people that are doing it and you're like, I wish more people did that. You have to ask yourself: Are you celebrating it so people see the people that are vulnerable, that are telling the stories, that they are getting accolades? And you know, I've always tied this back into. I believe it was an SAP uh, like survey that they had done across like their employees, and the the survey came back to something like, what did the employees want for like validation of their successful using of social media? And it was I can't remember the exact uh, things, but it was something like a uh, fifty dollar Amazon gift card, an extra day off your your boss liking it and appreciating it and something else and it was like 80 percent of people just said like i want my boss to like my linkedin post i want my superior to to comment on one of my posts and that's free and that's and it, you would be amazed like you think about it from like oh this is me celeb- like celebrating that one person but those people that are like i'm not sure if this is what my company wants, or it's too risky. And all of a sudden they see a boss or, or a, you know, a peer that is commenting. And it almost gives us like that permission through not asking for permission, but permission through the idea, like, Oh, if our team is celebrating others that are doing this, I guess it's a great opportunity for me to do that because maybe they'll celebrate me as well. And I think that's such a big, you know, I think the listening part and the celebrating part are probably the two pieces that are missing from a lot of storytelling. And that's why the change is so hard.
1: Hey, that, that resonates with me, F- Fanzo, because I think it was two or three weeks ago, our CEO liked one of my posts. And I think I told everyone in my family that night at dinner, I was like, Martine liked my post. Yep, and they, they probably thought I was crazy, but I was like, I noticed it. I noticed everything that happens on my social feeds, but that stood out and that was really awesome. Uh,
0: I was gonna, I'm glad you mentioned that because we're talking about the softer skills now. And and uh, Fanta, you talked about everyone feeling overwhelmed. And I think, you know, with everything that's going on right now, you know, a large proportion of people are completely overwhelmed. So. I love the sort of listening part, and uh, and also it's the recognition, isn't it, that we're talking about from from our peers. I, I was going to ask you both whether you think uh, empathy is one of the most important parts of storytelling. Now, as a result of people feeling overwhelmed, and a lot of people feel constrained in terms of resource and time, um, you know, are is storytelling does it have enough empathy, and is that something that you you promote with the uh, with all the content that you're pushing out?
2: Well, I, I mean, so I give a keynote called "Digital Empathy," so it's kind of spot on there. But it's actually because I actually think the digital component of empathy is not something we, we touch on, right? It's it's harder to read emotions and understand people's nonverbal cues when it's comments on on a on a post or it's a reply via text, and we we almost have to do more work, right? We need to go into their feed. What are the things that they're dealing with? Like we have to, we really even have to extend empathy at a at a greater level in the, in the digital landscape. And I think that empathy also requires us, you know, I, I just uh, did a brand campaign uh, just like a month ago. And the they came to me and they said, Brian, we know you're a big mental health advocate. You a lot on, you know, I, I do a lot on ADHD and removing biases around ADHD and dyslexia as I have both of them. And my daughter also has it as well. And it was funny as we were going through this whole thing and I asked them like, what does success uh, look like? And they came back to me with like, we want you know your audience and our audience to recognize like our commitment to mental health not only for our employees but kind of using our solutions and what i came back to him with was i would love to create a message that asks people while reading this post to shut down your phone and go outside and they're like Brian how is that going to help us and i was like we're going to practice what that white paper is preaching, what that document is preaching, and we're going to do it right out of the gate. I'm going to take over your feed and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell the audience directly, hey, right now is a great time. I want you to pause, take the mental health break and come back to us afterwards. And just that little bit of like, hey, let's like, let's rather than us throw the mental health angle in their face, let's actually execute it from the start and you know and little things like hey like we're we're gonna take every Friday off from posting on our brand handles to give you a mental health break to give our social media team a mental health day that, that that is you know gives them a chance to kind of take a breath all of a sudden that's practicing what you preach it's standing out from the noise and it's validating what we all feel like we like we all feel I mean it's Friday right now right it's Friday and you know and it's it's one of those things where we've we knew this going into the global pandemic. I think we felt it during the global pandemic. And if we aren't owning that and being empathetic to that, then we are going to continue to you know, kind of be that brand that is just kind of smacking on the outside. And, and when we do something great that might have great mission and empathy behind it, it's going to come off to kind of like brand around because you're not actually practicing it within your organization as well.
1: I love that. I'm going to take those points, Fanzo, and, and run with them. Those are awesome. Thank you. Um, I would add to that. I mean, I think it the point you raise is something that we focus on when we think about community management or even myself in terms of on my own presence. Um, I always like to look at, for example, a comment and not judge based on what it is you know how those you'll get a one-word comment versus a really long descriptive comment well exactly what you said fanzo when i get a one-word comment especially if it's someone new to my network that's a gift and even if it's just like great posts right and you know what maybe they're a part of a pod but i don't know that that could legitimately be their truth. So I like to go over and see who they are and see what I can learn from them and then give them back the same amount of love that you give to the person that gave you 2000 words. And when it comes to our community management, it's one of the things that we love to prioritize because anyone that takes the time to engage with the brand needs a response back and not just a a reaction back, give them something back meaningful. We wanna thank them and we wanna pay them back with more value than it took for them to engage with us in the first place. And to really try and steer away from like, assuming something based on the whatever it is they said and try to always lead with empathy always give back and take the higher road because every single point of connection is your audience and if you and i were in real life in a networking room we would treat people very kindly with utmost empathy no matter what was happening and sometimes i feel we might fall a little short on that on digital because we seem to forget that it is a live networking event
2: and isn't that right. beautiful that you have all that context though, right? Like you have all the context in front of you right there. Like you went and go to look at that, like offline, we would kill for that data. When someone comes up angry into a brick and mortar store, you would love to know, did they just get cut off? Did their car break down on the way that they're getting there? But we don't have that data in this world we do. And I'll just say like, Danielle, that's why you guys do a great job of community management, social interaction, because the interesting part is we want that audience, that commenter to care about us. Well, the best way to do that is care. Show them you care more about them to start with, and that is such a great way to kind of lead off of that. I love that that strategy.
0: Yeah, I think that's an amazing place to um, to end there because I know that we're over time. But I just I could listen to both of you talk um, uh, for hours. Um, but I know we're trying to keep this to forty five minutes. I think what you're kind of summarizing is is making the making the customers, the employees, the the influences, if you're working with them, heroes of your content, you know, make sure that there's the listening insights and empathy, make sure that you're showing up as you would do normally. I love your point, Fanzo, about, you know, when you go to a conference, you hear people telling stories, but it's not in their content, but they are telling stories. They're just, they're just showing up differently. To your point, Danielle, when people get into that LinkedIn mindset, they must, you know, they think, oh, I must be more professional. Um, But actually, we're all storytellers. It's not it's not too daunting if you actually have a few you know, places to start and it's small sets for some people. Um, but uh, everyone's feeling overwhelmed. You know, Everyone needs a lot of empathy and uh, I hope everyone listening has really enjoyed this LinkedIn live. I certainly have and and Danielle and Fanzo are two um, wonderful a- exponents of storytelling. So thank you very much for, for joining me and uh, we will be back uh, with more on the Get expert content um, in the next month or two.
1: Thanks so much for having us, Tim. Great to see you, Fanzo.
0: Good to see you as well. Cheers. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for all your comments as well.